welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Cawhorn and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, welcome back to this week's episode. We are diving into um, our second episode on May mental health, um, and we have found Mr. Daniel Hayes. I found him through Ag State of Mind, and he talked with Jason Meadows on there, and so really wanted to get a male perspective and also dive into a little bit of the um, substance abuse side of things that we haven't really touched on in ag a whole lot. And I feel like it's it's a topic that needs to be um, talked about. Um, and then we also have a fourth guest. I better introduce her too, in case you hear her. Miss Miss Harper Lost Speech is sitting in as well. So um, she might have a couple things to say once in a while too. Um, but Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to give listeners a little bit of background about who you are um, and kind of where you're at in the world? Um, yeah, my name's Daniel Hayes. I live in Belton, South Carolina, which is, I guess, the closest thing most people would know to Belton would be Clemson University because we've got a pretty decent football team over there. Um I live on a small sheep farm and we raise border collies and central Asian shepherd guard dogs um, and train dogs and trial dogs. And that's kind of our involvement in agriculture. Um, And I have a, I have a full-time day job as well. So. Very, very cool. Well, thanks again for joining us. And at some point I'm going to have to dive back into training border collies because we have a border collie and I'm slightly obsessed with them now that, you know, I own them and (laughs) know how agile they are. Um, But would you mind sharing with listeners a little bit about your story with, with substance and how you kind of got hooked and then how you got help as well? Um, So I grew up in a pretty typical home, um, Actually, that might not even be the right way to say that. I would say I grew up in a way better than typical home, Um, like upper middle class. Mom and dad were the love of each other's lives. Um, Never crossed my mind that, you know, they would get divorced or anything like that. Um, Just, you know, pretty perfect childhood. Um, And you know, I was a good kid. I followed all the rules. I did what was expected of me. Um, and I got a lot of value in myself from that, I feel like, um, and did well in school and all that, um, was relatively okay at sports, just kind of, you know, typical good kid. And, uh, then I went off to college and once I got off in college, I was around a lot of um, alcohol and drug use, kind of typical college stuff, nothing crazy. Um, But I started drinking a little bit to fit in and kind of liked being able to turn off certain things in my mind and discovered that actually marijuana did a better job of turning off the things I didn't like and turning on other things. Um, I found it helped me to kind of live in the moment more and be able to focus on what I was doing instead of worrying what other people were thinking and that kind of thing, Uh, which eventually the further you go down that rabbit hole, that kind of comes back around and bites you in the other direction. Um, But I, I started smoking weed recreationally and that pretty quickly spiraled 
into I was high all the time. And as you progress down that road, you kind of get to a point where it doesn't do what it used to do. And it becomes less and less effective. And so you start looking for that next, um, that next kick. Um, and for me, I tried just about everything there was, but what really hit the spot for me was opiates. And I got kicked out of college. My parents eventually forced me out of the house, kind of a like ultimatum, you know, get clean or get out. Um, which was the best thing that they could have done. Um, I ended up becoming an IV heroin user um, for probably like three or four years. Um, couldn't stop. Had friends die of overdoses. Um, stole things. Did things I never thought that I would do to get money for dope. Um, you know, just whatever it took to get high. Uh, cause you know, they talk about with, uh, especially your opiates, your body is trained to release dopamine when you do the things that it needs you to, to survive. And heroin produces a dopamine rush. That's like 10 times greater than those basic need dopamine hits that your body naturally gives you. And so your brain begins to get, things twisted to the point where it thinks that it needs heroin to live um or at least it acts in that way and so i got to a point where i would literally do whatever it took to make that happen um and eventually it, it just got to the point where i i couldn't do it anymore uh but i didn't know how to quit and so you know every night you're going to bed and man, I really want to wake up tomorrow and not go uh, walk across town and try to score some dope. Um, but I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to quit. I don't want to be sick. I've got to go to work tomorrow. And if I can't get something in me, I'm not going to be functional. Um, and fortunately, I finally got arrested um, just for a stupid shoplifting charge. Um I was stoned out of my mind and I walked into a grocery store and tried to walk out with two rolls of cookie dough. And I, apparently I wasn't a very good shoplifter cause I got caught and I spent um, 30 days in jail because I actually had some other stuff that had been waiting on me to get caught, to get, um, get extradited for basically. Um, so I, I, I got out of jail on bail after 30 days after I dealt with the shoplifting charge. And then we were kind of waiting around on court for the other stuff. And I, I decided while I was in jail, I, I kind of thought I was a, you know, tough guy. Um, and very quickly there understood that wasn't the kind of life I wanted to live. Um, and kind of wanted to make some changes and it gave me 30 days in jail, gave me enough time to get my head to start clearing up. It takes like a year or more um, for your brain to start getting everything straightened back out after just, you know, the abuse of pouring drugs into it constantly for years. Um, and, and 
it was enough to kind of get me to the point where I was willing to think about getting help. And I tried to go to rehab uh, before that. Um, and it wasn't, it was a 30 day program. And for me, that wasn't enough. I, I know there are people that go to 30 day programs and they stay clean and that's awesome. And I'm very happy for them that they don't have to do something more extreme than that, but that was not enough for me. Um, and so at that point I was willing to do something a little more extreme. And so I looked around at some programs and long story short, I ended up at a program called Waypoint in North Georgia. And it was a very different program than anything I'd ever heard about or been around. Um, there were probably 25 guys and um, it was based on, it was a faith-based program. And the first little bit I was there, I, you know, I wanted to get out. I wanted freedom. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do. I didn't particularly want to get high, but I didn't want to go, um, like work in a thrift store all day, which is what we kind of had to do to pull our weight. And I didn't want to have to take the classes and all the stuff that we were doing. I, you know, I just wanted to get back to real life. Um, but I finally got to a point one day where I was willing to give up control to a point. Um, and I remember I was sitting on the back porch of our little kitchen and I said, okay, God, I'm going to try it your way. And I'm not sure on the theology of telling God that you're going to try it his way and how much that, that counts for with him. But apparently it was enough to get the ball rolling and uh, things started to change from there. And personally, I don't have a really good explanation for what happened because I could not stop using to save my life, um, literally. Um, and after that point, it was like my desire to use drugs was kind of just taken away. Um, and I know that sounds crazy, but I've been clean, I think it'll be nine years this July. And it's not something that I battle with on a daily basis. It's definitely a huge part of who I am and it's changed the way that I think, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about staying sober and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about not using. Um, I, I do have a lot of memories that I fight against. I have a lot of things I wish I hadn't done um, that do pop up from time to time, but I'm very thankful I have friends who went through the program at the same time as me that still every day staying sober is a, is a battle for them. And for me, it's, it's not like that. And uh, I don't know where you guys stand on faith, but personally I can't attribute that to anything but Jesus. And I just believe that he changed my heart to the point where um, I just don't want to be that person anymore. Um, I got out of the program. It was a year long program. Uh, met my wife within a week of getting out of the program, which anybody in uh, 
NA or AA or celebrate recovery or whatever flavor of recovery group you're in would not recommend you getting in a relationship uh, within a week of getting out of a year long rehab program. Um, but for me, it was probably the best thing that could have happened. Um, we got married eight months later and she's the most amazing person I know. Um, I am not an easy person to live with. I'm a very intense focused um, person and I get something in my head and maybe take it to an extreme, um, which that would be the dogs. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've got a, we've got a five or almost six year old little boy and we just had a girl, a little girl this February. And those kids don't know, don't know the person that I was. Um, they don't know a dad who would do anything to, you know, feel good for six hours. Um, and I'm real thankful for that because I had a lot of friends who at the same time, they were in rehab, they had kids. And I can't imagine the feelings that they had you know, trying to get sober, trying to get clean for the good of their family, but at the same time, having to be away from that family. Um, so I'm real thankful that things fell in the order that they did for me. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the backstory of all that. <laughs> well, I want to first thank you for being open and vulnerable because I know I know these things aren't easy to talk to or live back through, especially being sober for, for nine years. And that's a, that's an amazing accomplishment. And I'm, I think it's really cool. You found Jesus when you did, because faith for Catherine and I is a big, is a big thing as well. And it's, you know, people from people find him in different ways and come to know him in different ways. Um, what for somebody. So like it was, you said it was when you were in jail that you're, you finally had the realization that you needed to, to get help. What did your family like? Cause I know some people struggling to help if they notice somebody's struggling or what, how does, how did your family help you? And what, what are things other family members can do to help, help their loved ones in that situation? I think one of the biggest things is get a professional involved. Um, because there's a lot of harm that's done in the name of trying to help people in addiction. Um, a lot of times we make people's lives too easy and what they need is, uh, you know, they say that about, you got to get to rock bottom. Well, different people's rock bottoms are in different places. Um, for me, mine was pretty, pretty low, but I know people's that was lower. Um, and I think we have to be willing to let people that we love get to that point, wherever their point is. Um, that's hard to watch. And it's hard to watch, especially um, I'm thankful I got out of the heroin world before fentanyl became so prevalent. And I can't imagine how terrifying that is for you know people who have kids that are using when overdose is just rampant now. Um, and so we've got to, we've got to be willing to let people get to that point where they realize that they need help and they want help. Um, because, you know, 
you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink and you can take a drunk or a addict to rehab, but, and you can even put consequences on it. Um, but until they really want to get better until they're willing to reach that point of surrender, I don't think that there's very much you can do. Um, you can't get sober for somebody else. Um, and, and so I think the, the biggest thing is get a professional involved because that person can help you as the loved one who's trying to help be accountable to not being enabling. Um, because so often, I mean, just, you know, things that you think you're doing that aren't going to contribute. Well, you know, if, even if you're just providing them with food, I know one Christmas, my mom gave me a subway gift card because she felt like, well, at least I know he'll eat. Well, yeah, but that meant every other bit of money that I got could go straight to drugs. Um, so in a way, although she was just trying to help and she even thought it through, she was enabling me. Um, and uh, so I, I think getting a professional involved or finding someone who's been through it, just a, a second set of eyes that's not emotionally invested in the situation to kind of help you see if what you're doing is the most helpful thing. <clears throat> no, and that's, I think the emotional, like you want to love them and you want to help, but it's, but if you haven't been through it, it it's a whole different world and a whole, like a, the person, Perspective is different too, and everybody, everybody's operates in a little different light as well. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand, like a parent or someone who hasn't been through addiction, to understand the mind of someone who's in, you know, that state. But it just doesn't feel like you can quit. And I'm not going to take away any um, like culpability or whatever. Like I did the things I did um, and I'm, you know, I'm fully responsible for what I did, but it just didn't feel like there was another option. Um, I didn't feel like I could function without drugs. I didn't feel like I wanted to function without drugs. Um, and that's really hard for someone to understand because you look on the outside and you're like, man, just quit. Like, don't you see what this is doing to you? Don't you see what this is doing to your family? Um, you know, like at one point I was sleeping in a, in a single cab pickup truck. Um, and the thought of quitting didn't even cross my mind. Um, I was having a good time. Um, so, you know, from the outside, that seems absolutely crazy and it is um but to that person's mind at the time they're getting what's most important to them and so they're willing to deal with those consequences um so yeah it's 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 something i used to say a lot was it's it's as easy as quitting and and it's 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 as hard as never doing it again um and when you look at it that way, it seems pretty daunting. Um, and, you know, so the AA and a 
saying is, you know, one day at a time, but um, when you get your head in that, I'm never going to do this again, kind of mindset that can make that first step towards sobriety hard to, hard to think about. <clears throat> well, and the withdrawal phases too, aren't, aren't easy either, depending on what, what substance you're on, but they can be the withdrawals and stuff can be equally as painful um, as well. Absolutely. And, and you've got, you know, um, especially with uh, like benzos, uh, any kind of central nervous system depressant, whether it's alcohol or Xanax or Clodipin or whatever, those, I mean, you can literally die from detox on that stuff. So definitely need to get a professional involved if there's a real problem there. Um, heroin addiction makes you feel like you're going to die, but you're going to be fine. Um, it's just not, your brain thinks it's dying, but it's not. Um, and even for me, um, with marijuana, I couldn't eat when I didn't smoke. Um, and I would just, every time I tried to eat, I would throw up. So, I mean, there were even some withdrawal symptoms with a non-addictive quotes drug like marijuana. Um, but yeah, it's, it's when your body's screaming and your brain screaming, it can, it can definitely be a challenge. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you bringing light to that because it, I think, again, it's stuff people don't talk about and don't want to talk about, which is understandable, but it's, it's giving people hope or giving people somebody to relate to if they're in that situation. Um, I know, especially in agriculture, I feel like alcohol is a big, you know, coping mechanism, especially during stressful times. And and that can lead to other things and opioids and, and all sorts of things. What kind of switching a little bit of gears since being sober and going through this, how has this changed the way you raise your kids or, and what, you know, outlook do you have, have raising your kids post or does it, maybe it doesn't either. So one thing that about going through a rehab program is I spent a year learning how to deal with feelings. Um, and that's been really helpful in my marriage too, because I'm perfectly willing to talk about feelings because I know how important they are. Um, and me and my wife, Laura, can be a little backwards in that I'm sometimes more willing to talk about those things than she is. Um, but that's come a long way in the time we've been married because she might be listening from the other room. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as my kids go, we spend a lot of time with uh, my son, Bear. Uh, Collins is only three months, so we're not too worried about her yet. But uh, with my son, Bear, we um, we spend a lot of time talking him through feelings and explaining for him, explaining to him that it's okay to feel a certain way. We've just got to handle how we act that out. I felt like sometimes as a kid, um, and I think this is normal, um, we're told to just do the right thing and not be concerned how we feel about it. And that leads to a lot of repressing feelings um, and not expressing how you feel 
And that can be done in a good way or a bad way. And so we're really trying to teach him how to express his feelings in a good way. And right now he's kind of at a stage where that's not going great. Um, but when he gets upset, we say, we, we ask him how he feels about it. And, you know, we say, you know, right there when you threw a rock because you were mad, that wasn't okay. It's okay that you were mad. It's not okay that you threw the rock. Um, and can we talk about, you know, what made you mad about this situation? So we, we just, we try to, sorry, I may have a dog with puppies in here and she's growling at somebody. <laughs> um, but uh yeah i i think i i think an another thing is I, i'm trying to be really open with him about it and i don't have a problem with people drinking alcohol um i think if you can have a beer or two or three or whatever and stop there that's awesome and that's a wonderful blessing that you can enjoy that. Um, me personally, uh, I can't do that. And so I don't. Um, and I want my son to know that. And I don't want him to be someone who's judgmental of people that drink alcohol. Because, I mean, from a Christian perspective, it's pretty hard to argue that alcohol is bad when Jesus drank wine. Um, so I, I try to, I try to be, I try to, we try to let him know that's not something we do in this house. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, in fact, it's, it's a blessing for people. Um, and I try to, I try to be really open about my past and I may have actually maybe gone too far with that because the other day bear was running around screaming, my daddy went to jail. I was like, okay, but it was like nine years, 10 years ago. And <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe wait until your kid's older than five to have that talk. But. <clears throat> well, and it's, it's funny what kids latch on to because it's, I, my mom um, worked for a vet and, um, sold pharmaceutical drugs for, you know, animals. <laughs> I went around telling my friends, my mom sold drugs. So I, <laughs> in the same, same vein, of, it's all out of innocence, but it's like something you think you you're cool or you just learned something that you can share. So I think, I think honesty is the best Paul. I don't have kids yet, but I really appreciate, you know, the more, the more you can communicate and work through, um, it's not easy by any stretch because they take things and end up running in a completely different direction and telling their friends um, things. But I think it's, I really appreciate your your perspective and the way you're being open with your kids too to talk about those because it's, you know, trying to keep keep the 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 dialogue of of emotions at the front forefront. I think is something society is not very good at it we're mad we're angry and we're going to take it out on somebody else and um mm -hmm. especially especially rural america sometimes um is there anything on your you know going tying into mental health a little bit i feel like all this is is in in vain of mental health but um 
Is there stuff you continually do on a day-to-day basis to help help yourself stay grounded and centered and 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 present for your family too? Uh, if I had to be honest, I would say I'm doing a lousy job of that right now. (laughs) Um, I've got so much going on right now that I'm running a hundred miles an hour all the time. Um, and I, I wish I was doing a better job of that, but I'm just, you know, I'm kind of at one of those points where it feels like we're about to be able to shift gears and take things to another level um, and maybe even be able to do this thing full time. And it feels like if we could just cross that line, everything would be so much easier if we weren't doing everything before work or after work, if it was just the work. Um, And so um, right now I'm trying to do a better job of taking you know, taking Sundays and not doing anything work-wise and just to spend time with them. Um, But I am a go, go, go person and I'm not good at holding still. Um, And with all the dogs and everything and sheep, there's always plenty of stuff to do. (laughs) Um, So that it's something I'm, I'm struggling with and I'm trying to find better answers for, but, um, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of good advice there cause I'm not doing good on it myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can totally relate with the, the go, go, go. And the um, trying to do as much as you can at, before and after work and, and everything else. So, well, um, before we sign off, is there anything you want to um, leave listeners with? Any words of advice, any fun facts, or even a joke? Um, I, I think at the end of the day, Jesus is, you know, the best answer to a problem like this. I know there are, um, I know there are programs and they say pick a higher power. Um, and I know that that helps some people, but, um, I just, I think, I think he has the power to, to change things. He has the power to change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And I know he did it for me. And I know that if I can stop with the way that I was, that anybody can. Uh, so there's plenty of hope there. If he did it for me, he can do it for anybody. Um, so, yeah, that'd be that'd be that. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I really appreciate um, you being you you being on our show, you being vulnerable with us about about your journey, um, and and also sharing your faith. We really appreciate um, bringing Jesus into into the show tonight, um, and listeners. And one last thing: if people want to find you, um, are you on? Any social media platform or what is the best way for people to contact you? If, if, if they, if, and you can plug your sheep and your dogs and whatever else you would like to plug as well. <laughs> um, so, so we're, uh, I'm on Facebook uh, under Daniel Hayes, the pictures, me with a border collie. Um, so it'd be pretty easy to find. Um, 
we do we do raise uh we do raise a few litters of puppies every year uh, and i sell some started dogs as well and we take in dogs for training but most of your listeners are probably a couple states away and there's probably somebody significantly better than me closer um but if somebody's in south carolina and looking for a dog trained i'd certainly be glad to help them um we just our sheep operation is we, we do some uh grazing on places that don't have fences so we do a lot of movable fence stuff but my sheep aren't seed stock quality by any stretch they're just we just get as many mouths as we can and eat everything that people give us for free. Um, so um, that's that, but the border collies are where our passion is and, and we're getting into the central Asian shepherd guard dogs, which if you're, um, if your great Pyrenees or your Anatolian is, um, is, a is one level of guard dog. These are just a higher caliber of dog. They're very serious guard dogs. Um, they do a great job. They love their stock and they don't, they don't leave them. Um, and they're more than capable of handling. I know people that have them out West, they handle wolves, they handle, um, bears if there are a few of them. Um, and, and they're amazing how quickly they fall in love with something that gives them as little back as a sheep. So, um, <laughs> yep, that's, that's us. Um, Yep. Very, very cool. Well, I will, um, yeah, we will get this aired and, and we'll tag you as well. So, um, listeners, we thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the millennial ag podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also email us at talk to us at millennialag.com until next week. We are millennial ag. If you or someone, you know, needs help with mental health challenges or substance abuse, please reach out. Here are some resources to consider. Lifeline Chat and Text is a service of the 988 Suicide Crisis Lifeline, connecting individuals with crisis counselors for emotional support and other services via web chat or texting 988. Again, that number is 988. The American Psychological Association has many great resources for whatever distress you may be experiencing. Visit APA.org to find resources including the Crisis Text Line, text HOME to 741-741, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline, 800-662-4300. Five, seven. Again, the number for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. The Crisis Text Line number is texting HOME to 741-741. Please, please reach out for help if you are hurting. You are loved. You are worthy. You are needed. You are wanted. You don't have to do this alone. With love and hope, Catherine and Valine.